How's that? Okay, Chris might turn me up a bit as well, just in case I'm a bit too quiet. We're, um... I feel all self-conscious now. Um... No. Um, we're, we're continuing our theme on worship, and uh, today's title is The Wonder in Our Worship. Thank you, thank you. Do you know, this was completely lost on the 6.30 service and the 9 service, every time. Well, Ellen appreciated it, so uh, we've got our own Stevie Wonder here, so I'll get you some shades for later. The Wonder in Our Worship. Do you know, I don't know what inspires wonder in you. What inspires that feeling of awe? Do you know, when I was growing up, one of the things that inspired wonder and awe, and some of you might think I'm incredibly sad for this, okay, was WWF. <laughs> well, do you know, as, as a kid, do you know, I, I love this. These guys were larger than life, bodied, you know, physically, they were larger in life characters, and uh, it was great entertainment. And I inspired to be like a wrestler. I had dreams of uh, branching out into WWE as I got older. And have, have uh, a bit of pity on me, guys. I was an 80s kid, grew up on a diet of Arnold Schwarzenegger and WWF. But anyway, you know, I really loved this, this kind of stuff. And when I was 17, I had the opportunity to go and see... WWF live in Birmingham with a friend from school and I was really excited about this and we got to the arena, we had like these VIP tickets where uh, we could have a steak uh, meal before it happened in the arena and then we got our seats and uh, there was just a great atmosphere, a packed out uh, indoor arena with about 13,000 people there, lots of signs lots of uh, noise and uh, the thing about wrestling it's all about the entrances these larger and live characters kind of come into these uh, these uh, amazing kind of sort of rock anthem type sheets think kind of Rocky coming to the eye of the tiger but on steroids and um, <laughs> y- y- pyrotechnics you've, you've kind of got what it's like and the, the, in, the first fight what happened and uh, initially what, what just happened to me was just like goosebumps up and down my spine it was just amazing you know just seeing these kind of people who I idolize in the flesh and uh, you know the first few fights were great and um, but then after a while that kind of warm and fuzzy feeling kind of wore off and that kind of wonder uh, just kind of faded really and I started to think that's all right Looks a bit fake, actually, compared to what it does like on TV. Um, and, uh, you know, by the end, it kind of think, well, you know what? That re- really wasn't all it cracked up to be. And, uh, do you know, often in life, I think there's quite a bit that can leave us feeling like that. Do you know what? That wasn't all it promised it would be. That kind of sense of awe and wonder wore off as it went on. But one of the things I've found with worship is that that sense of awe and wonder is actually something that increases over time. You know, the more we worship God, the more we encounter Him, there's this realisation that actually there's a lot more. Now, not all my times of worship are uh, filled with these amazing kind of uh, experiences of God's presence, but nevertheless, there are those, just those times where we encounter God and we're intrigued by the mystery and just overwhelmed by Him. And as we read scripture as well, we just realize, you know, there's just so much more to him. He is an awesome 
God. And for eternity, I don't think we're going to get to a point in eternity where one day we're before the throne of God and we can say, ah, it's all right, it's not quite what it cracked up to be. I just think for eternity we will be captured by God. Part of worship is that awe factor, is that, is that wonder And I don't know about you, but there's something I find about experiencing something that is huge, bigger than ourselves, that kind of leaves me in awe. Nature being one of those things. Now, my wife, as many of you know, is from Brazil, so uh, I like to visit Brazil frequently and to travel around a bit. And there are certain places in Brazil where I'm just struck by the natural beauty, Rio being one of them. Has anyone been to Rio? Martin, excellent, and Joe. Okay, an amazing city, mountainous, and just incredible natural beauty. And then you see the Christ Redeemer statue from anywhere really in the city. And uh, when you get near it, you just realise how big it is and how small you are in comparison. And there's part of me that kind of gets my head around the creation of the statue, how they did that, how they built that. But the formation of the mountains is another thing. The natural beauty is another thing. There's something about it that just echoes God. There's another place on the border of Argentina, Forziaguasu, where there's just these amazing waterfalls. And uh, you can walk along this waterfall for about a mile and a half and you just see these incredible waterfalls on the other side of you. And the kind of climax of this walk is you kind of walk into where there's this sort of naturally formed basin where all this water is just so powerfully pouring down, a bit like Niagara, but more beautiful, in fact. Um, and uh, there's this walkway where you can go out to where, um, and, and look over where one waterfall goes, and yet there's all these waterfalls around and above you, and you can feel the spray of this place, and you can just see this rainbow formed by the spray of the water just going completely round. And it is awe-inspiring, and it just brings home, do you know, we're so small in comparison to creation. We're so small in comparison to the universe. I don't know if you ever feel like that. I don't know if you ever feel like that looking at the stars at night. Psalm 19 says that creation displays God's glory, doesn't it? That the stars proclaim how glorious he is. Do you know, as we look at creation, we see something of our creator. It's one thing to see these things on TV or in photo. It's another thing to experience them in person, to be there in the flesh. It's one thing to hear stories about God. It's one thing to hear other people's experiences and encounter, to read the Bible. It's another thing to encounter the living God for ourselves. Worship is an invitation to encounter God. And similarly, we are, we are left all inspired by that. Worship is something that transforms us. It's the most transformative thing we do. We all worship, whether we worship God or not, we'll worship something. Perhaps in where we are in our, our, our culture, perhaps those, those idols we worship tend to be, uh, be wealth, money, security. They could be other things. And the thing we worship is we become like what we worship. And for Isaiah, when he was worshipping God, and all of a sudden in that place of worship met with God in a way that he had never met with him before. He was transformed forever. As he was in the temple, all of a sudden he sees a vision of God in his glory. 
he sees these living creatures crying out day and night, holy, holy, holy Lord, constantly. Because all these angelic beings can do is simply cry out in response to God. Even these seraphim had to cover their faces in the presence of God, in the presence of his holiness. Because God is so awesome. The New Testament says that God dwells in unapproachable light. There's this whole thing in the Old Testament, you cannot see God and live. That even Moses, he had to be hid from seeing the face of God. He could see the back of God, but not the face of God. He couldn't see God in all of his glory and fullness. There's something about God that inspires wonder. And as we just get those little glimpses of him in worship, it will change us. For Isaiah, he became conscious of just how small in one sense and insignificant he was. He became conscious of God's vastness and his holiness. And Isaiah became conscious of his, of his own sin, of his own shortcomings. And he cries out, woe to me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. This experience broke Isaiah in a way. It marked him for life. In a way, it was like a bone that needed to be broken and reset to grow properly. I think for Isaiah, this reorientated, realigned his life, his vision, and his ministry or for an encounter with God. And sometimes when we encounter God, perhaps we just realize, do you know what? I've been living this Christian life for myself. I've been out for me. My vision's perhaps not big enough. Perhaps I've been at the center of my own world, and rather than letting God, who is enormous, who is holy, who is worthy, be at the center, it realigns us. Christian life and core starts with an encounter with Jesus. If you are inspiring to be a leader in the church here, seek Jesus, seek to encounter him. That's where it starts. That's where our vision starts. For Isaiah, this is where he's commissioned. Then God says, in the presence of of, of the heavenly beings, who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And Isaiah, and I can imagine him just overwhelmed, tearful at this point, saying, here am I. Send me. That's where it starts. An encounter with Jesus. It's one thing to hear about God. It's another thing to encounter him. And we become like what we worship. What will we be like if we set our hearts on God in our worship? Do you know, Jesus himself produced wonder in people. In Mark 19, he is transfigured I don't know if you've read that passage before. He takes Peter, John and James up the mountain. And all of a sudden they get a glimpse of Jesus as they've never seen him before. His clothes glow white. They're, they're whiter than anyone could have ever bleached them. These other beings, Moses and Elijah, appear. A cloud representing the presence, the glory of God appears and just envelops uh, Peter, John and James. and says, this is my son who I love Listen to him. And as Jesus comes down in Mark, 19, verse 15, uh, Mark 9, verse 15, it says this, As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to him. They saw Jesus, and they ran to him. Do you know, that is a great picture of what worship is. Actually, that as we see Jesus, 
as we have an opportunity to come forward and worship him, let's run to him. Let's, let's resolve to meet with him. Let's not go through the motions, but actually let's set our hearts, the affection of our hearts, on Jesus. God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Let's, let's encounter him. Let's worship from the heart. Do you know, after, I, I don't know what, what it was exactly that drew people to Jesus in that exact main moment. Maybe he was still glowing after he was transfigured. That cloud as well, I think that says so much, doesn't it? Representing God's presence. And something about the cloud is that actually it conceals quite a bit. And there's something about when we experience God, there's still that, that element of mystery. Something's concealed. We don't get it all. And as Christians, actually, I think we live in a place, we often find ourselves in a place uh, of, of, of living in mystery and wonder. We don't fully get God. We don't fully get Jesus. I'm about to play to you uh, a great prayer that someone prayed that just describes a bit about Jesus and what he's like. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduring strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his firm is light. I wish I could describe him for you. He's indescribable. He's incarnate. 
serves me right, it was just to introduce a speaker. No pressure on those of you who pray publicly here. (laughs) We don't fully grasp or understand him, do we? Yet in worship, we give ourselves to someone we can't fully describe, uh, someone who we can't fully explain, measure, predict, quantify. God is beyond our, our comprehension, really. I think one of the main objections people have to following God is, is, is not a, a lack of evidence for the existence of God. just need to look at creation, don't you, to see this reflects the creator. Actually, I think people object to, to giving their lives to a far higher and greater being than themselves. But as we submit to him and worship him, it's transformative. And we learn to trust in him as well. Do you know, we like to get our heads around things. We live in an information-rich society, don't we? Do you know, one of the other things I loved um, growing up was, was Transformers. And uh, for me, it was great in 2007 when uh, finally, you know, these uh, ginormous, bigger-than-life robots were, were brought to life on the big screen, uh, thanks to Michael Bay. And, um, and it's kind of awe-inspiring in a way isn't it? And, uh, you know, just sort of seeing, you know, this huge articulate, you know, this huge semi-truck turn into a uh, 25-foot robot. And, uh, you know, I love to get lost in the kind of movie and uh, all of that. But in, in reality, um, I, can, I can find out how that was done. I can go on IMDB and uh, work out that, <laughs> that, that actually that, that was a process of CGI and uh, those robots weren't real. And, uh, you know, some of that kind of... Uh, Mystery and all wears off. I I can understand how it came together. But with God, I can't get my head around him. I can't grasp how he created the universe, how he put the stars in place, how he formed my DNA. I just, beyond, beyond my comprehension. Do you know, Isaiah says this, Isaiah 55, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. We won't fully grasp him. You know, our faith, it's not a formula. It's not a formula which we live by. Actually, faith is about trust. It's about relationship with God. Because we know God, because we, uh, we, can, we can trust in him, even though we don't fully understand him, faith invites us to put our hands into his hand and to walk with him. Though we don't fully understand him, we can trust him. And we're assured by his work in us. Whilst God is enormous and all-inspiring, 
He is not a remote and a distant God. Actually, he's a God who cares about the intricate details of our lives. God is a God who is involved in our lives and intervenes in our lives. Do you know, I've already said it, the Psalms pick up on that idea of uh, creation, declaring the beauty of the Lord. The mountains represent his righteousness. Psalm 121 kind of holds that theme together, but also the whole theme about God's care for us. What does it say here? I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Those awesome mountains that God created. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That God who created the universe is your helper. That God who inspires awe and wonder, that God who an encounter with leaves us forever changed is a God who loves you passionately and longs for a relationship with you. Do you know, yet again, that story about Daisy, the little girl who shared that word about the guy's number plate. Think about that. The person who gave Daisy the details about those people in that car who wanted to reassure them was the God who created this ever-expanding universe we live in. Not only is he about sustaining the universe. Without Jesus, it would fall apart. But actually, he cares about what's going on in your life. He cares about what's going on in my life. And he's a God who, on the one hand, we're in awe of him. We're blown away. We're inspired. But on the other hand, we can approach him. He's our Heavenly Father. We can go into his throne room and sit on his lap. Do you know, so often I find God is what, what I need when I need it. He's that awesome God who I can trust in for provision, protection, who I know just has a sovereign plan. And even when I don't understand what's going on, he's holding me, he's sustaining me, and he's a God who I can find love from, affection from, who will speak tenderly to me and guide me. That's the God we worship, and he is awe-inspiring. And we're invited to worship him ourselves, to know him intimately. The way to encounter with him is through praise, Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Amen. Why don't we stand up?